Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Primitive Positivity. My guest today is Nathan Kallerman. He is a transformational guide, a spiritual counselor, a medium, and I would say he's also a bit of a, a health expert, a fitness expert. So we're going to pick his brain a little today. Hi, Nathan. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, Tommy. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Was the pronunciation of your last name correct? Yeah, it's Kohlerman. Kohlerman, got it. Um, so the first thing I want to know for people that don't know you or about you yet, uh, and I say yet because, you know, everyone's going to know about you. I just want you to tell us a little bit about you and how you were growing up. What kind of kid were you? What was little so I, <laughs> I was I was a rambunctious little guy. I uh, seemed to always find trouble everywhere I went. Um, I was mostly a loner. I getting into things that I shouldn't have been. And, you know, I was, like I had said, rambunctious, very curious. Um, but I was, I was really withdrawn. You know, I didn't have a lot of like social aspects I wanted to be, but I never really was able to take those steps unless there was like an invitation extended to me, you know, and my human design actually kind of broke that down. And then I kind of understood like, oh well that's why like when I was invited to show up like then I would like play but I would never like make the first move and that's more so how I found like my introvertedness but as an introvert I you know had like a high intellect too so I was I was really good in school I didn't really have to try that hard and that kind of also perpetuated some of the rambunctiousness and some of the uh, uh, defiant behaviors I should say but you know I I was disciplined I've been practicing martial arts since I was five years old and that's really kind of where all of my outlet went for almost 11 years is, is training really hard and you know having not the best coordination when it came to baseball or any of those other sports but when I was in a dojo or when I was grappling or when I was doing something of that nature something just felt like home like I was just always just curious and always finding new and innovative ways to like do different things whether it was a takedown or whatever move around an opponent or something like that I was just really curious in that way um so I was playful for the most part but also very like withdrawn so I wasn't able to express that fully as much as I really wanted to and growing up in the home that I did you know emotions were not very prominent they weren't promoted as much as you know I what I believe how it should be as least at least from a place of not judgment but a place of comparison as the as into how I raise my kids now so growing up in that environment and having at least the outlets and the resources that that I did at the time you know I I stayed out of trouble for the most part until about high school and then it just kind of went downhill from there uh and that that's what really helped propel me on the path now <laughs> cool and then what led you to the purpose now? What yeah, led you so, to this? oh yeah so essentially you know had, as i had mentioned you know in the household and the environment that i was growing up in i didn't really have you know a lot of outlets for resources or anything like that and you know, after I had tried to commit suicide by taking a bottle of pills at seven or eight years old, I was introduced to the psychotherapy model. And I always remembered experiencing like bodily pain for a lot of years, even through, you know, younger years, whether it was just like my back hurting or, you know, finding like kinks in my knees or something like that. And I would play in sports and I would never be able to perform because I just, my body just kind of was sore, you know, and I was a very aggressive sports player. Like I only played football and I only wrestled because I wanted to just inflict damage essentially. So that can only give you an implication of how wounded I was on the inside. So, you know, I got really bad into drugs. I ended up getting into the heroin 16 years old and that propelled my path into it very interesting direction because I was starting to experience what the world was like and what survival would be like as essentially a lone wolf, even though I had a community of, you know, whether it be like gang culture or drug culture, 
like that was my first form of like community that I could really understand. And, you know, there came a point where my mom had sat me down with my sister and basically said, if I didn't stop what I was doing, I'd be in debt or in prison. So as fate would have it, when, you know, I kind of woke up one day, I was like, I, I want to change and I want to be better. I want something different. And when I went back to school, the recruiters were standing on the front door. So I ended up enlisting in the army and shipped off in August, 2010. So that really set things off for me. And I, you know, performed well, at least from a performance point of view, discipline wise, I wasn't very disciplined at all. I actually got in trouble quite a bit. And while I was in the military, you know, I was training for special forces and I wanted to go green beret. And then my ex-wife, my wife at the time, she got pregnant with my daughter. So I ended up just pulling and stripping all that stuff away. And when my daughter was born, it really showed me and presented me an opportunity that that was my purpose to be a father. So, you know, I was into fitness around my 19th birthday after I got in trouble and fitness always really felt home to me. And when I deployed, I started seeking bodybuilding and from there it became my new addiction. So I was bodybuilding throughout the rest of my career in the military. I ended up getting medically discharged in 2016 for compartment syndrome, both my legs is basically a fascial disorder that didn't allow any fluids or nutrients to circulate and it was almost like shin splits on steroids so i got medically discharged i was still bodybuilding still powerlifting. the unit wasn't very happy about that considering i couldn't run um but i was doing something and that was what i loved to do you know it didn't hurt it just allowed me to still channel some of that energy that i was holding for several several years so I continued with that. I got certified as a personal trainer after my divorce. I needed some extra money. So that was the main motivator there was to survive again. <laughs> and yeah, and I was balancing all these hats, right? Like I've always been very accustomed to that, just doing so many different duties and responsibilities and mixing and matching and left and right and all these things. So I, I found a really interesting moment where you know, I, I was training a client one day and he was having some issues. He was having some pain and like, I didn't know what to do. So I was like, well, I don't like how this feels. So I ended up pursuing more corrective exercises route. Uh, so that way I could find an applicable way to help people, not knowing that helping people out of pain and being able to transmute it in a way that suited their health and their wellness and their well-being would benefit them in all aspects of life. So I started specializing in there. Came a time in March, 2017, about a year after I got out of the military, I leaned on the granite counter, snapped off, tore my whole hand open. And that was the last time I had thought about killing myself because I was 253 pounds and I felt helpless at the time. And I broke down and Doctors for the next seven months through the rehabilitation process told me that I would never get my hand back, that I would never be able to use my hand fully functioning again. And being the rambunctious and disobedient person I was, I wanted to say like, well, fuck that, watch me. So <laughs> I ended up going into the lawsuit, took a settlement. And with that settlement, I put it all back into my education, into building a business and I wanted to study anything and everything I could to restore my movement, to restore my quality of life, which then became my specialty with mobility and movement. But along that journey, it was about two years ago, I would say, I was seeing someone with fibromyalgia. Or about two years ago, there came a time where I was seeing someone who came to see me for an assessment and do some targeted vibration therapy. And they wanted to do some movement screenings with me to see what may have been causing the pain in their body. And with fibromyalgia, it's more of a psychosomatic condition. You know, he was a veteran with severe PTSD, complex PTSD, if you call it that. And no matter what movement I gave him, I couldn't help him. So, you know, the, the only thing that I really gave him was breath work. And being able to try to do something to downregulate his nervous system enough to where he could essentially function mentally and emotionally. And it actually helped him substantially. And so I started really questioning that pain is not just physical. 
there's a mental component, there's an emotional component, there's an energetic and even a spiritual a metaphysical component, right? So in that place, right where I was in my journey, was around the same time when I was opened up to gateway heart healing, and to breathwork practices, and to energy healing, and I was seeking that all for myself. So I wanted to learn it and I became a practitioner in multiple modalities over the last two years, whether it be through neurolinguistics programming and NLP and going through my training for my mediumship where they actually train me with these tools, these applicable tools. So that way I can tap into my more intuitive capabilities to then channel and then move different energies through that process, which I'm still pursuing my studies with that school. It's Delphi in Georgia for spiritual psychology, transpersonal psychology, and the Rohan method, which is a spiritual purification process. So now what I'm doing with all of these things is really determining in that moment, what does someone need individually? Is it something in their mental body? Is it something in their emotional and their physical in their energetic, their etheric, or their spiritual body. And based on whatever they come to me with, whether it be with pain or whether they're suffering from addiction or unwanted behaviors, or whether or not they're just seeking some clarity and guidance, I now can bring forward whatever they need in the moment, creating that individualized process rather than the blueprinted processes that I've seen in the fitness community and everything else, whether it be a 12 weeks to a bigger butt or eight weeks to bigger arms and not really agreeing with that model ever. Right. Because even in my experience with addiction, I found that everyone needs an individualized roadmap to recovery. Yes. The blueprint and the systems and the processes and the protocols will help to a certain extent, but how do we optimize that? How do we bring the most out of that? And how can we help someone remember that they have all of that power within them? And how can we restore their power and give them purpose through their pain or their discomfort or their addiction to find the gift within it and then move that forward and help everyone else in their life? Mm. But the medium part of it is a natural talent as well. So how did you, how did you figure out that you had that talent in the middle of this because that really can't be taught right you don't really go to school to learn to be a medium so it, when did you figure out that that part was in you so i realized a few years ago even when certain chiropractors and physical therapists they were doubting my capabilities and when i would meet with people i would kind of already know and feel what needed to be done what they were seeking, what the root cause of their pain might've been from a physical aspect. And I was able to help people in that way, right? Not having a doctorate in physical therapy or chiropractics or orthopedics or anything else. I was just helping people left and right because I was able to determine their root cause very quickly. So I think in the back of my mind, I've kind of always knew it, but it was once I went through this training that it was the confirmation, like, hey, just so you know, we're demystifying, like, all this stuff that you hear about us, and this is in reality what it is, and I was like, oh, well, yeah, and they're like, yeah, that's it, and I'm like, okay, but there were other things through there, right, so they taught us how to um, conduct, like, a past life regression, they taught us how to communicate with the other side, and what the intention was for that healing in itself and just exposed to all these different layers of it that I may not have known before. So really teaching what it is, what it entails, what mediumship is used for and how we can harness it and how we all innately have these abilities, but how to stop doubting them and allow it to just flow through you freely is really what the training was designed for. And that's more so solidified my role as a medium now. And then how you also became somewhat of a, not somewhat of a, a total mental health advocate. So did all of this experience also lead you into the mental health sector where you're, I would say, I said Alessandra Teresani is also a mental health warrior. So I would say you're one of the mental health warriors for sure, because you stand up for other people when it comes to that. You hold space for other people when it comes to that. You mind your own mental health and you're always so honest about that. So it did all of this culminate into that 
particular, that other purpose that you have? Yeah, I think a lot of that lived experience that I had, right? And being able to survive suicide and conquering and overcoming addiction with now where I'm at, I don't even call myself a recovering addict because I don't even crave heroin anymore. I don't crave cocaine or alcohol or anything else. Like I can smoke a nicotine vape and be perfectly fine. I can say, I can have a drink of alcohol and not feel the shame or remorse or regret for living my life and being human. So I would say based on just my lived experience and also through training that I've done to become an addiction recovery coach and being a trauma-informed coach with different experiences and different teachings that I've learned over the years, I would say, yes, being a mental health advocate and a warrior is one lens to look through, but I would say I'm more of a visionary because I can see a future beyond what we're currently living in to where hopefully eventually society can start accepting these things and normalizing these things and destigmatizing these things, knowing that even anything from anxiety to schizophrenia to depression to addiction, these are all normal things that we can experience. And if we can move outside of the box, we can start seeing the potential within this and then use it as an opportunity, as a catalyst to become something in which we may have, ne may have never imagined, right? So I see the vision beyond the addiction, the beyond the stigma, beyond the diagnosis, because a lot of people will say like, our disorders are our gifts or our addictions are our gifts. But I would say there they are our opportunities to redefine what those things mean to us and find the behaviors that are more suitable for us to move and transmute our purpose forward in a direction to where we stop indulging in these sensory-based illusions to become the best and the most available and the most powerful part of ourselves once more. And then... Anytime I've heard you speak, you're always so honest about your story, about your experiences. What led you to adopt that level of honesty where it's like you're all in and that everybody knows that about you. And when they hear you speak in a room or they ask you to speak about something in Clubhouse or off Clubhouse, they know they're going to get this amount of honesty that most people are not comfortable giving. So how did you come to adopt that high level of honesty about it all? Yeah. It was actually after going through my first stages of transformation. So in May 2017, I went through Landmark uh, Forum, which is their basic course, and in July did their advanced. And the year after that, I did MITT in LA basic. And then that in June, a month later, I did their advanced course. And it was going through those trainings that I was really exposed to how bullshit my narratives were and that my stories were simply just stories. And by me holding back my stories and by me holding back what I learned from those stories was actually what I believe to be selfish in nature because, and I talk about it all the time, but that by other people hearing other people's experiences, it equates to the acronym of hope. And if I can provide hope to others through the narratives and the trials and the trepidations that I have overcome, then in its entirety, I can be of service. And if it's used intently from a place of power rather than from a place of victimhood, which is how I've always used it before that to justify my insecurities or to justify my attachments or to justify my behaviors, then it wasn't doing anybody any good, especially not me. So if I can be raw and authentic and vulnerable, and if I can just be in truth and honest with what I've done, what I've experienced, then every time I move that energy with power, I reclaim part of my power back in the process. And it gives other people permission to step into their power as well and I believe that's why we're here to shift our narratives to redefine our potential to redefine 
what we're capable of doing in this world and to move it purposefully in a direction that can help others heal as well by also healing our wounds, which then heal the wounds of our ancestors, which then heals seven more wounds past our generations. And over time, the collective heals. It's not just about my healing or whoever's listening healing. It's about the person who's listening's child healing, the person listening's whose brother is healing from what they've heard and what they've witnessed and what that person is about to go out into with their life. So it's, it's the more responsibility is, and it runs pretty deep. Exactly. Yeah. And then when it comes to facilitating men in particular on their mental health journeys, what are some of the common themes that you find that come up that blocks them from achieving the goal that they're set out to do? Because I think men do, they, they try, it's that they don't try, it's, but there's things that block them, whether it be outside narratives or, so what are some of the common things that you find when you're facilitating men? Yeah, so I can think of three right off the top of my head. The first thing that blocks men is feeling as if though they're not safe to do so because we have been culturally conditioned in the society where if a man expresses themselves, they're considered weak or they're considered not as good as this person who they may be comparing themselves to. And that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is family systems. You know, we were, we were built in families where you know, the main block is that in their household growing up, right, either they weren't being paid attention to, they felt abandoned to where they cling on to all these things outside of them and they feed and try to fill these holes within them. Or they grew up in a home with abuse so they don't feel safe. Therefore, they have to put on and place this hard external shell so that way they can feel safe when deep down on the inside, they don't feel safe at all. And then and those are just a few examples. And then the third thing I would say is just a lack of clarity. It's a lack of clarity from, well, this is what I was taught that this is what success means, right? To get a degree and then to get this six figure job and then to get married and buy a house and then buy a dog and then have a kid and live in this fairy tale life that I don't truly believe in, but at one point in time, someone told me that my dreams are ridiculous or my dreams are silly and that, come on, that's not what real people do. This is what, this is what the real successful people do. You want this car? You want this house? You want this life? You want this wife? Then you have to do everything A, B, C, D, E, F, G because if you go outside of the narrative or outside of the system, you are therefore ridiculous, which is not true whatsoever. So those three things there are, are very common. And I won't even say it's even just among men, right? I think that runs the standard for all genders, right? Whether male or female or non-binary or trans or anything, these narratives circulate us because we have been placed inside of a box of society, which takes away our inability to be and harness the individuality within each and every one of us. Yeah. And then I also hear you speak all the time about calibrating the masculine and feminine. And when you bring that up, sometimes I think to myself, there must be men sitting there going, whoa, buddy, what are you talking about? I don't have any feminine in me. <laughs> so uh. <laughs> what are the reasons why we should calibrate the masculine and feminine energies? So I say calibrate because perfect balance never exists. And I'll tell you why, because let's take our human bodies, for instance, I've been working with the human body and biomechanics for a long time. And when I look at the human body, we always have an asymmetrical pattern. No single step is ever the same. No single squat is ever the same. We may always have one leg longer than the other. And we have one nose, we have one kidney, we have one tongue, we have one genitalia. So why would we think that we're supposed to be perfectly balanced and symmetrical at all times? If we were, then we'd be considered robots. We would be cyborgs because we're always perfectly balanced and symmetrical. So that's why I use the word calibrate. So when I talk about calibrating the masculine feminine, it's not about achieving that perfect balance between being masculine or being feminine. 
those two things I'll break down in a second, but it's about calibrating and being able to find the ebb and flow in between to understand where we're most effective and where we're most efficient with whatever situation or opportunity presents itself in front of us. So one example would be just a normal conversation. Maybe it's with our partner and maybe they may be in their feminine, let's say. They're, they're wanting to be received they, or they are receiving what we are saying. Now, based on my partner's energy, even though they're in a feminine role of receiving, what is their energy? Are they more assertive or are they more gentle? Are they retrieving information from us or are they suggesting information from us, right? And then how are we delivering that? Are we delivering it with that assertiveness, right? And not from a place of asserting dominance, but assertive, asserting information. Or are we being gentle and not meaning are we pussyfooting around and just like, you know, just giving them some type of little like sprinkles of things here and there, which I shouldn't even use that term, but it's the only thing I can use to describe right now. Or are we being gentle with our words with intent, right? Because when we look at the masculine and feminine energies, the way I perceive and receive them and the ways that I express them is that it comes down into assertiveness and suggestiveness giving and receiving, right? Where we have command and purpose being what drives the masculine and devotion and fullness, which circulates and fuels the feminine. And then when they're misaligned, they create these distortions. They start creating these behavior patterns where the masculine will start to draw into conquer and escape or the feminine will draw into obsession or compulsion. And that can explain our behaviors. And it also allows us to see where we're showing up in our life in that way. But then it's also asking and giving ourselves grace in the moment. Is this actually required for the moment out of survival? Because that's really all we're trying to do is survive. But before reacting, it's simply just tapping in and asking and calibrating ourselves internally. What energy is required for this moment? And where am I at now? Where do I want to be? And what power is required to get there in this moment? Yeah, and then how do you keep mental health in check when it's not on those days where it's not so great? Because I know you, you said that you don't believe that we are perfect. So, and I know you're honest about everything. So I know you have days where it's, you know, hairy. So how is it that, what tools are you using to keep that in check all the time when it's needed? I think the most powerful tool that I've been able to utilize is ownership because it's really easy, you know, and I'm speaking for myself here, but I'm sure others can relate that when we're not feeling too good, we may unconsciously or unintentionally take it out on others, whether it be in our tone or just on our energy. Maybe we're dismissing others. Maybe we're not really listening. Maybe we're, you know, a little bit more hostile with the ways that we might go about it. And I've noticed that in myself for sure. So I take radical ownership. And when I notice that feeling, right, I take ownership and I, and I acknowledge it. I say that, you know, I'm sad or I'm mad or I'm upset. And then what I'll do is I'll actually play music, right? I'll play the hand pan and I'll, you know, process my thoughts a little bit. Maybe I'll just go into the tunes and the tones because that's taking me out of my amygdala, out of my flight or flight. And it's shifting me into my frontal cortex. It's shifting me into the area of my brain where I can touch it off. I can shut it off just a little bit, not shut it off completely, but maybe relax it in a way. So that way I can step away from that moment and I can really reflect and start inquiring, where is this coming from? What would I name it? Where is it in my body? What does it need in this moment? How can I give attention to it? And how can I fulfill this need on my own rather than seeking it from someone else? And whether it's movement, or whether it's music, some sort of expression that requires my brain to be focused on one certain thing. Others would call it a meditation, right? And that's really what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going into a dynamic meditation where in those moments, I don't want to be still. It's not what I require. I don't function well in stillness in those moments. And a lot of people have said just to sit with it and feel it and you know nurture your inner child, which I've done. But what I have found personally the most effective for me 
is dynamic meditation is something that I can channel and move that energy into. And for a moment, I can find a higher vibration that I can, that I can really feel within me. So that way I can start approaching it with gentleness. I can start approaching it using that high vibrational energy to then start shifting that energy in a way and conduct my own healing in the process. And then 2000 and the year 2000 was one of the most difficult years, I think for most people. So how did you find the ways to be positive throughout that whole experience for that entire year? And now it's even going into this year. So how is it that you're finding those positive things to glean out of it? You said in 2000? Yeah, and also coming into this year, because now the past couple of months, it's been like a continuation of that. So it was, must have been the biggest challenge we've all faced together. Yeah. In 2000, I was eight years old. So I'm sorry, 2020. <laughs> oh, okay. I was about to say in 2000, I was no, eight. No, so um, <laughs> that was a rough year. Don't get me wrong. That is the year. Right. I, I meant 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, but yeah, 2020, it was challenging for sure. But for me, it was probably one of the best things for me because it really pivoted me on the path that I'm on now. It showed me and presented opportunities to step into my power because for a lot of years, not saying that I wasn't providing as much value as I could have, but I was limiting and restricting my potential, meaning I put myself in a box before 2020 and I was only a personal trainer. I was, I was only the movement and mobility or only the animal flow guy. And when all the gyms closed down and when I was training my, my clients out of a park in 110 degree weather in Arizona, I looked in the mirror really hard and I was like, this is not what I'm designed to do. Like I'm not comfortable right now and there's nothing wrong with being uncomfortable but I wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't connecting to people in the ways that I really wanted to. So that's when I sought out men's work. That's when I started building online communities. That's when I started really going into the teachings and the practices and the methodologies and the, and the techniques that I had used for so long, but really embodying them. So although it was hard, financially especially, emotionally and spiritually I grew more than I ever thought because I did fall back into old patterns I was since I was locked inside drinking with friends and doing cocaine here and there and really just trying to seek connection right not saying I was ever doing those things on a repetitive basis but the one two three maybe four times that I did during that quarantine process you know I had to take a really hard look at myself and I was like, why am I doing these things? Like, why, why am I standing up till three or four in the morning drinking and like taking bumps of cocaine when I know that I don't like that stuff. And when I do, I get highly aggressive and I turn into someone who I'm not. And I gave myself grace, you know, because I am human. And <clears throat> excuse me, I, I had moments of weakness, but it just showed me how much I needed other people. It showed me how much I needed connection. It showed me how much I needed to step into something greater than what I was currently living. And not to say that I need things out of dependency because dependency is not a bad thing. We all depend on one another for certain things and I wasn't any less than if I didn't receive it. But saying needing, meaning in order for me to honor myself fully, to give myself some grace, this is what I need right now to be okay. and it opened a whole bunch of doors for me. And without this last year, I don't know how long would have gone by before I finally made the decision to start using my voice, to start researching more, to start integrating my lessons rather than just learning them. And yeah, it was, it was very challenging, but I learned more about myself last year than I think the last 10 years combined. I think a lot of people did. So that's why they call it the great pause. Yeah, the great reflection. <laughs> <laughs> and then all the all these um, different things that you do that are connected, 
what is it that you're most passionate about though out of all the things that you're involved in so the most passionate thing i think i'm involved with right now is helping people heal in a way that doesn't require them to be dependent on me you know and i and i love participating facilitating men's work i really do it's it's such a powerful powerful experience it's such a powerful purpose in my life and i have multiple purposes but what i'm really passionate about is is looking someone eye to eye and just reflecting back to them the greatness they have and then to watch like physically watch and see right in front of me like somebody like immediately shift instantaneously shift you know and those those are my clients Right. Working with my clients is one of the most passionate things that I have right now because I have such deep and intimate connections with my clients and I'm normalizing, you know, at the same time, this doesn't have to be only a coaching client thing. Like I can be your friend. We can go outside of this area and we can actually like hang out and we can like do normal people things. It's not this transactional thing. So I'm really enjoying and I'm really being passionate about cultivating creating conscious connections and conscious connections that don't have to be transactional they're unconditional and they get it and there's a reciprocity there that i have just been able to enjoy fully because now not a single fucking day feels like work like i'm literally talking to my friends every day and i'm simply just reflecting back to them and helping them remember the greatness within themselves and it's it's so powerful because now I get to take the techniques and the methods and modalities that I've learned that I've literally put all of my investments into, and I can just give it to them and, and I can watch them flourish and thrive and go on clubhouse and use their voices and go on Instagram and write something inspiring where I can look at the comments and I can see them creating impact in the world. Like that shit fires me up. Yeah. And what would you call this chapter of your life if you were going to write a book? Which you probably Ooh. will do. What, what is this chapter? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> mm. What would I call this? That's a really good question, Tommy. Oh. <laughs> There's so many words. I'm such a word wizard, too. So I'm really selective. <laughs> Embodiment. is embodiment this is this time in my life is really where i am being prepared and i am stepping into practicing what i preach fully because if i if i don't then the repercussions from that could be detrimental not only to myself but all those to who i serve mm. So, so this time of my life is really revolving around embodiment, truly. That's a good word. I like that word. And what is the most fulfilling part of what you do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just said it, like watching, <laughs> watching the people who I serve, watching my friends, watching the people who I love in my life, the people who are investing themselves, the people who are connecting to me, the people who are showing up, the people who are reflecting back to me, myself in a way, and them also being reflected by me and watching them go out in the world and create impact. Because it may sound slightly egoic, but I know I had something to do with that and it makes me fucking happy. It's so cool to like teach someone or guide someone or empower someone with something and to watch them radically shift within a very short period of time and then go out and like create impact in the world like that's fucking cool like that is the most fulfilling part is like that person just changed 10 people's and 20 people's and 100 people's lives over there and all i got to all i had to do is sit back and watch like yeah. that's dope i don't that's think it's dope. I don't think it's egotistic because I think when you're training, it's like being a parent too, where they say parents give their kids roots and then they give them wings. So mm. when you're coaching, you're giving them roots, but then there is a point during coaching where you have to give them their wings. So when you see them doing those things, that's when you know they've earned the wings, right? So mm. it makes sense. totally makes sense. 
And I know you said you learned a lot about yourself in the past year. Was there anything that's surprising that you learned though during this whole pandemic about Nathan? Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the most powerful lesson, and I'm, I'm still integrating it. I'm still integrating this. We were talking a little bit about this before we even went on record, but I realized how quickly I could fall back into codependent patterns again. Like I fell into so many different situationships with women mm. and I discovered how easily my external environment could actually push me into seeking my comfort and validation in those areas again. And I'm grateful for it because now I have an immense amount of awareness to it now where at least I can now honor that because I wasn't honoring myself last year. I was indulging back into these old patterns and I was letting it run me in circles. And it was after a few occurrences and a few instances and a few women bless their heart that I realized like, wow, I am still unconsciously doing these things. And it was those instances and events and situationships as I call them, that I was exposed a new layer of humility because I had done so much work. And then to have those like, those like nice little roots coming back, right? Cause I didn't, I didn't nip the weed at the root, right? And it started to grow back and it grew some fucking thorns and stabbed me a few times and I was bleeding, but you know, those, those, those blood marks, man, they, they left some really powerful lessons, which allowed me to go deeper, right? It allowed me to go deeper and it allowed me to love myself more. And that's really what catalyzed me going into men's work, realizing that a lot of the codependencies actually were within my masculine wounds because I was always searching for attention and validation and safety with women, because that's what I always sought from my father, but never got it. Yeah, that's a deep one. Yeah. That is a deep one. And I know you work with a lot of people. So, and you observe a lot of people. So what is it that you hope that we've all learned collectively over the past year or so now that we're in this, that we can keep with us going forward and we don't soon forget it because it's important mm -hmm. for us to actually acknowledge what we've learned during this difficult time. I would say that it takes a tribe to, ch to raise a child because if it's anything that I've seen, this whole lone wolf mentality stuff has to go. Everybody, and at least I, 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 I speak from my own experience and I have witnessed it, I've observed it, I've heard it. And almost everybody, I should say, almost everybody I have come into contact with has been trying to do things alone through all of this. And I think the greatest thing that we can remember is that we are always whole, connected, empowered, and supported, right? Because separation, division, and inequity only brings chaos. And I think we've seen that so many times through the inequity things we have seen in society. I think we have seen a lot of it through the division of police officers and civilians. I think we have seen a large amount of it between the quote unquote conscious community and the quote unquote unconscious communities. And I say that because there's a lot of labeling being thrown around in those areas and who are we to dictate what is conscious what's unconscious what's spiritual what's not spiritual right because when we do that we automatically create disassociation and we create division we create inequity and we create a lens in which we're looking through of judgment and it's to just be compassionate at the end of the day it's to be compassionate and to know that we're always whole complete empowered and supported 
and that we can ask one another for help. We can reach out to someone and ask for support when we may be feeling low, that we can always go to sleep with our head on our pillow, knowing that God, universe, source, spirit, whatever pronoun you want to use, always fucking has our back. Because the universe doesn't present us opportunities unless we're ready for them. And we are always whole, empowered, complete, supported, and ready for anything that comes as a collective, as a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully we do keep that. <laughs> that's important. I really hope so. <laughs> I mean, we even saw that with polit- politics, where politicians were using people to divide, and we basically all fell for it, no matter what side you were on, you fell for something. So we pretty easily learned that lesson the hard way, right? We, we kind of fell into that lesson the hard way. Oh, I want you to tell people where they can find you online if they want to know more about you and maybe hire you or work with you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So they can find me on my website. It's www.newintention.com. It's N-E-U, intention.com. I am currently in the process of rebuilding it, but my health and wellness one is still there. And they can find me on almost every social platform, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, BitCloud, at Nathan Kohlerman, except for TikTok, it's at the movement medium. Uh, and Clubhouse is your name as well. 100%. That is definitely, definitely implied <laughs> as it is. If, if anybody's following me or anybody's hearing this, like I am on Clubhouse a disgustingly <laughs> large amount of time right i'm not yeah, i'm not shamed about it and it's not unhealthy yeah. it's just i look at my screen time and i'm like whoa like i'm connected to people right now a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're gonna have to take a break eventually you're gonna need a vacation from that but in time in time yeah i think i'm actually gonna be taking one in july so that'll mm, be good that's good and my kiddos that's perfect what is one thing that you can speaking of kiddos what is one thing that you absolutely cannot live without my children of course <laughs> mm-hmm. and what is one thing that you wish we could all live without mm. one thing that i think that we could all live without this is a good one One thing we can always know while we live without. Hatred. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a wonderful world, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's very like pageant queen, you know, to say like, I wish for world peace, but it's true. <laughs> it's so fucking true. Like, could you even imagine how nice it would be to walk down the street like in like South Central, wherever you're at, and like not be afraid of like getting shot or something? Yeah. Like how dope would that be? Because there are a lot of areas that are really cool to walk through. But if you're not strapped, like, come on now. Then, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and since we're so social media driven these days, if you had to describe yourself using three hashtags, what three hashtags would you use to best describe Nathan? <laughs> I've been using one for a while. It's pretty funny. Um, I do hashtag homie to healer. Mm, that's a good one. That's, yeah. Uh, hashtag mental health matters. And then Hashtag destigmatize addiction. Yeah, and it is Mental Health Awareness Month because we're in May. So, is. is there a message that you have for people out there who are suffering through it, uh, who maybe are feeling like there isn't anything to do or are afraid to get help or afraid of what it says about them to admit that they need help? Yeah. So, for anyone who may be struggling, 
what I would say first is to remember that you're whole, you're complete, you're empowered, you're supported. Secondly, I would say that it's okay not to be okay. And third, I would say that movement is always medicine. So instead of feeling stuck or powerless or that you have nowhere to go or nobody to turn to, the invitation is to move your body, is to move your emotions, is to move whatever energy may be within you in whatever way that you need in the moment without shame and without judgment. And if you want to dance your ass off, dance your ass off. If you want to scream into a pillow and you want to kick and flail your arms and your legs, do it. If you want to do some flow or some yoga or some weight training or anything, go for a walk. I would highly, highly encourage it because our body is a fantastic machine. And if we can use it to move whatever may be within us, we can start to also shift whatever state we might be in that moment into a more purposeful direction. And rather than just forcing ourselves to sit in misery, we can move ourselves into a place of power, into a place of responsibility. Yeah, definitely. And then are there any last words do you wanna leave people with? I love you and be gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. Definitely. No, that's a good one. <laughs> I think we forget that almost every single day for at least a little while every day, we forget about the gentleness that we're supposed to be treating ourselves with. We go way off the rails. So yeah, reel it back in. <laughs> yeah, reel it back in. <laughs> Thank you for taking time to speak to us. And I hope you come back because yes. we can do this as many times as you want. <laughs> awesome. There's always something to talk to. about, right? <laughs> yeah, I would love to. This is great. Thank, thank you, Tommy. So much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will be back again with another episode. Happy Mental Health Awareness Month.